Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I want to be rich. I mm. want to become rich. I want mm. to make money. It was sort of this like, you shouldn't be saying that out loud. Like, why are you so obsessed with money? And for me, it wasn't you know, I want to be a big baller. It was, I don't want to depend on anyone. It was yeah. a very emotional thing that maybe in my immaturity, you know, sounded superficial or greedy. I say, it's the fire in my eyes, the flash of my teeth, the swing in my waist, the joy in my feet. I'm a woman, phenomenally. With an MBA from Harvard, Gloria started off her career at Morgan Stanley as an investment banker. She soon moved to the tech and startup scene where she helped build up Uber that back then wasn't everyone's must-have app, but a small little company in the making. She left Uber as it achieved a unicorn status and IPO'd with 27,000 employees. Today she works with early-stage founders as an angel investor alongside some other venture capital funds. She has been listed on the Innovative Finance Woman Fintech Power List of 2020 and top 35 angel investors in the UK, as well as top 100 female investors in Europe. Gloria knows what potential looks like and how to build on it. In this discussion, we talk money and investment, specifically through the lens of women, still shying away from this topic. We discuss how women can leverage their time, power and independence if they started talking, sharing and learning more on how to capitalize their assets to the very last coin. Welcome, Gloria. So my first question to you before we dip into your expertise, why do you think that women still tend to shy away in the discussion about money? Is it still taboo? I think that there's a lot of emotions related to money. Um, and we as human beings have a lot of scripts that we've inherited from our parents' generation about money and what it means. And, and money can mean different things to different people. To me, it means freedom and control. Uh, but to many people, there's a lot of shame associated with money. Uh, wanting money is sometimes seen as a shameful thing. And so what I've seen from my experience is that the men I've, I've interacted with professionally and personally, they are talking to each other about it all the time. And even though I studied math at university, I worked at an investment bank, I went to Harvard Business School, all realms where there's women who know what they're talking about, who are super smart, it's not something that came up in day-to-day -day conversation or when I went to have a girl's dinner. What do you think we are still, we may still be ashamed of wanting money? Um, 
it's an interesting question. I don't think I have the answer, but society is set up in a way to discourage women um, from really seeking financial freedom. Even if you look at the tax system, for instance, in the UK, um, if you are uh, married, so let's take the example of a heterosexual married couple, the highest earner can get some tax advantages if uh, the other partner earns less than £11,500 a year. And in the majority of the time, the highest earner is a male, is the male of the heterosexual uh, partnership. And so it, it discourages women from working more hours, from being in the professional world, because actually the extra income that they'll make above that will end up being less money for the family as a whole due to the way that the tax system works. And there are hundreds of ways where that sh shows itself in the systems that, that make up our society. But I do also think that there's this view that the feminine is about, you know, nurturing and child rearing and, and talking about your feelings. And then the masculine is about going and hunting and gathering and bringing back the money. Yes. And I just never associated with that. To me, and I think it's also from my own hangups from childhood, I never wanted to be dependent on a man. I never wanted to feel like I had to make a decision about, let's say, staying in a, rela a romantic relationship yeah. because of money. Um, and probably because I saw it happen, you know, in my childhood and I saw the suffering that that could come from that. From a very early age, I wanted to work and I wanted to earn my own money. My first job, I was 15 um, and I've never stopped working since. Maybe I was too focused on that. You know, I went to the extreme, but for me, it meant freedom to make whatever decision I want. And frankly, not having to stay with a man because I can't survive um, outside of that, that relationship um, financially. I mean, people make fun of me because of how much I talk about money and how comfortable I am. So, for instance, for my kids, when people ask, what should I get them for their birthday? I'm like, here's their 509 account, their college <laughs> savings account. Please send, you know, the 40 pounds you were going to send on a, spend on a so toy, great. just send it here. And, and they'll know that you contributed to their tax-free college education. Um, and so people think I'm really weird for that, but <laughs> you know, that'll mean more to them than that 40 pound toy. And I don't know if it's the right decision, but for me, I think that that security means, means a lot. And I'm trying to also instill that in my children and understanding the power of money and, um, how to be responsible. That's amazing. Tell me a little bit about where did you grow up and how did your childhood bring you all the way to study at Harvard later? I was born in Geneva. Uh, my dad is Swiss. My mom's black American. Um, and I grew up in Switzerland, then moved to London when I was about 13 until 18. Uh, then went to university in the U.S., studied German and math. After that, I went to Morgan Stanley. So at the time, basically, I wanted to have all my options open. And I thought that an investment banking analyst program would provide me with the core basic skills to then do whatever I wanted afterwards. 
And um, I think now the fashion is more going into startups, but mm -hmm. then it was the cool thing to go into it investment banking. Was, especially as a woman, it was, yeah. like, it was the best thing to do as a woman. Yeah, and I think still today, I think it really gave me a set of skills that I still rely on today and, and many of my professional roles and also in the boards that I sit on, um, just you know, basic financial modeling skills, uh, stakeholder management, And um, and just by virtue of the amount of hours that we did, it oh. just it was a crash course in, in business. Um, so I am very grateful that I did that. Um, then I went to Harvard Business School, did uh, my MBA there and came back to London. I was planning to work at a hedge fund. So in the summer between my first and second year, I did an internship at a hedge fund in London mm. Uh, got an offer, accepted the offer, and then three weeks before graduation decided, no, I actually, I want to create value and not just capture value. I want to build something or join an early stage company building something. But at the time, startups really were hiring marketers or engineers, and I'm a generalist, um, mm. so I couldn't really find my way. Uh, until I learned about a classmate who was working at Uber. And then I went and interviewed and was blown away uh, by the people that I met there. And the rest is history. We're going to get back to Uber. I promise we won't leave it there. <laughs> But I wanted to know what you learned at Morgan Stanley working with I mean, they're, they're renowned experts in the industry, like working, how many hours a week did you crush? 100, 120. Oh my God. I don't know. The we had done line. the calculation that actually we were, when we divided the number of, what we were paid by the number of hours, <gasps> we were paid below minimum wage. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it was uh, it was uh, intense, intense yeah. experience. Um, yeah. You said you already, as a child, you were a little bit shy of talking about money, but as you've grown into it, you grown to love to talk about money. But what did this experience at Morgan Stanley teach you? I did already jobs at banks early on. My first job um, at Lazard. Mm. I, you know, I was 15 and mm. every summer I tried to do internships. I had done an internship at Morgan Stanley also as a as a teenager. Um, But you were 15 at your first internship? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. God. Um, I was... Uh, I learned about currencies at 15. <laughs> Yeah, I was very much interested in that path from yeah. very early on. Um, weirdly, because neither of my parents are in business uh, or finance. And uh, yeah, more recently, what did I learn about money? Well, I learned that I learned the concept that you were could be valued by with a monetary amount you know it's very transactional in the sense is you do a good job you get a high bonus mm. and that's kind of like what was the thing that everyone talked about what what number what number did you get what what was your bonus and that was a measure of how well you did at your job and uh of course you know i learned some skills about how to understand financial analysis how to break down a company into its fundamentals and make a, and value that company, say mm. how much that company is worth. I would say that that's, you know, the main thing that I learned. Yeah. There. And you, you grew more confident in talking about money as being a pure fact of how to grow something. Yeah, I think 
I've always been very confident about talking about money. Mm -hmm. I've always been judged for that of, from an early age of saying my family, really? my friends about saying I want to be rich. I mm -hmm. want to become rich. I want mm -hmm. to make money. It was sort of this like, you shouldn't be saying that out loud. Like, why are you so obsessed with money? And for me, it wasn't you know, I want to be a big baller. It was, I don't want to depend on anyone. It was yeah. a very emotional thing that maybe in my immaturity, you know, sounded superficial or greedy. It's just crazy um, how it turns like that. It's really just about comfort. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and just the, the freedom um, and control over my own life, which is something that, you know, having had a quite chaotic childhood, I didn't really have. And so I wanted that security and I wanted to create it myself. Yeah. Um, I also was very lucky to have people in my friendships that helped me. So the father of my best friend, Adam, who I spent summers with, he would give me business books. He would give us all business books, things like uh, Rich Rich Dad, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Yeah. or um, um, how to make friends and influence people, like all these business books. Yeah. And he would say, okay, read them, and we're going to talk about this book in two days, and then we'd yeah. sit around and talk about it. And for me, that was amazing, because I'd always have an interest and a passion for this, but I was kind of the black sheep in my family for, for, for caring about this, but now I had you know someone else, another mentor, to kind of say it's okay yeah. to want to go in that field. So back to Uber, you started at Uber when there were only 500 employees and six people in the office in the UK. Correct. Was it a huge risk for you? Was it something mad you did back then? Or did you have this feeling that this was some place you wanted to be? So as I said, it was a friend, uh, not a friend, a classmate that I didn't really know very well uh, at the time mm. who worked there. Uh, she was general manager of the Boston office. So I called her up and she told me about the experience and she sounded so excited about it. I'd never spoken to anyone who was so excited about their job. Like, wow, this is crazy. Uh, actually, later when I got to know her, she just speaks like that about everything. <laughs> so I think it was false advertising. Yeah. Um, but uh, I went in for the interview and it was the craziest thing. First of all, I arrived. They had rented a hotel conference room next to the office because they had outgrown the office. Mm. And they had drivers lined up, hundreds of drivers lined up waiting to onboard to become drivers on the platform. Hmm. And it was so crazy that I was like, you guys obviously need help. I mean, you're like three people here and there's hundreds of drivers. Crazy. So I called up the woman I was interviewing with at the office, the head of the of the team. And I said, do you mind if I'm an hour late for the interview? Because your, your, your team here need help. And I stayed there and helped them onboard those drivers. I mean, wow. craziest, weirdest interview, right? But like the energy seeing that something completely new was happening here and the impact that I was going to be able to have on the lives of, of, of these, these drivers. And, um, and then I went for the interview and it was super interesting. Like normally interviews, you're being asked questions and you're being grilled. Mm -hmm. This was really a conversation, a problem solving conversation. And that's what I love to do. I love to solve problems. So 
I mean, I was ecstatic after the, the interviews and financially it was a risk because I took a massive pay cut mm. in the base salary. And this is something I talk about a lot. I think that these jobs in tech, although you can make a ton of money if there's a nice exit, they always kind of underpay on the base salary. So it, it means that only people with privilege yeah. can actually join those jobs. And then those people end up making the big exit and then the privilege It's almost like a new aristocracy. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And because if you don't have, you know, family help or someone, you know, that you can kind of top up your base salary with, you're not able to survive for that many years with, with such a low salary. So um, that's something we talk about a lot in the, in the space. And, and hopefully it's, it's, it is changing and hopefully it'll continue to change. But yeah, so the, the, the way it was structured, it was a low base pay yeah. and um, a very high potential for a payout uh, in, the, in the form of options. Yeah. And uh, I knew that I, no matter what happened financially, no matter how well the company did, I knew I was working with people that I respected. I know, knew that I was going to do some crazy new stuff yeah. and expand my brain and learn and have fun. And usually when that happens, um, it's not wasted time. So, yeah. Yeah. And five years later, the company had 27,000 employees. Yeah. Yeah. And, Crazy. And IPO'd. Yeah. You know, at the time we called it growth at all costs, um, which probably is not, now we all know is not necessarily the right way to do it. But yeah, massive, massive growth, massive opportunities for learning, yeah. um, being able to try and fail and, and that being okay was completely new. I mean, in banking, you didn't fail, right? You did things the way you were meant to do them. Yeah. And that entrepreneurial way of thinking of actually, no, try it, fail. We're assigning a budget to that. There's value in that failure because then you can write a playbook and you can share it with the rest of the cities and they won't make that same mistake. Mm was mind-blowing to me. And yeah. I think it's the way I approach life now is even if it's an investment, I'm going to try and, it, and failure is great. I've learned something. I can share that knowledge with other people and it's not lost. Yeah. And that's a shift in my mindset that I had to make at the beginning. <laughs> it made yeah. me very anxious at first. And it must have been boosted by obviously you taking this risk and, and surely you left with some good options and you could embark on a new journey yes. at this point. Yeah. So um, my passion, I think, had always been to work with founders and advise them. So during my time at Uber, I would often have founders come and have coffee with me in the cafeteria and I'd help them as much as I could. Um, really? To I just didn't know of, that. Yeah. So great. Um, and, and I give the example of Deliveroo, who I had met Will Shu, the founder, and We chatted a lot at the beginning and he had offered me to invest 10,000 pounds in the friends and family round. The very first. You didn't take it. I didn't have the 10,000 oh, yeah, pounds to invest. Yeah. And um, so I didn't do it, even yeah. though I totally believed in the yeah. company, was out there handing out flyers. Wow. And, uh, and supporting him however I could, but I just didn't have that 10K. Mm. And so that's why, you know, I continued doing that with other founders, but mm. didn't have the capital to invest. So the moment that I had that after the Uber IPO, I said, I'm going to do this full time. I'm going to 
that put money behind the, these founders that I that I believe in. And um, and how did you go about then to get money from other people to be able to invest? Was your confidence there straight away to say I'm going to collect money to help grow startups? Yeah, um, what I do now, I invest mostly as an angel, and then people invest alongside me. So, yeah. really, I'm not giving financial advice. I'm not. I'm not um, licensed to give financial <laughs> advice. But uh, you know, think of it as like a syndicate or a group groups of people who. If I'm very interested and passionate about a deal, will you know do their own due diligence yeah. <laughs> and then uh, invest alongside me. So, Could you quickly describe what it means to be an angel investor? Sure. Yeah. So, um, spend most of my time meeting and talking to founders who are starting new businesses, predominantly in the tech space, who want to make a difference in the world. And I uh, meet with, you know, say, let's say a hundred a month and invest in maybe... A hundred a month? Let's say I, I get a hundred pitches a month. Wow. Um, pitch decks. I review the pitch decks. I say, okay, 30 of them I'm interested enough to meet with and I meet with them. Mm. And then let's say another 10 I'm interested in going a little bit further. And then I do some due diligence and some research and try to understand the market a little bit more, um, maybe reference the founders, mm. get to know them. Um, and then maybe out of that, I'll make one investment. Um, and so angel investment means investing your own capital, essentially. Yeah. And it is a very risky mm. and something I wouldn't you know, recommend to any, anyone to do, but um, it, is, it is incredibly rewarding. It can be financially rewarding, but... Probably not. For most people, not. But I'm doing it in a way where I'm hoping that it will be. Yeah. Um, and you go on this long-term journey with with the with the founders. So you know that journey can be seven to ten years until they maybe sell the company to another large corporation, or they have an IPO, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then you get to cash out on that investment. Um, but, you know, say you invest in 100 companies overall, you only really need one or two to do very well to be able to cover um, your losses in the other companies. So it's about, it's like any type of investing, you're diversifying mm. your portfolio. And during that journey, you're, you can be very, very active with the mm. founders, depending on what they need. So um, I try to help them as much as I can with hiring, um, introducing them to people in my network. I will do strategic sessions where I sit with them and, and you know, help them work through strategy or processes or whatever really they need. Mm. Um, some don't need any help, which is fine, and mm. I'm happy. And it goes as far as sitting, you know, taking a formal board seat and becoming a, a board director. You have already been listed on the Innovative Finance Woman in Fintech Power List of 2020. You are top 35 angel investor in UK and you are top 100 female investor in Europe. It's pretty powerful, pretty heavy what you're already listed within. Yeah, uh, I always get a little bit embarrassed by these awards. <laughs> uh, I don't know what they mean really, but um, I think if it can inspire people women and, and particularly women of color 
to know that this is something that's accessible mm. and you don't need to have exited, you know, an Uber to be able to do it. You actually only need to have a bit of time and have some expertise and start advising your friends who are starting companies and then beg them to let you put a little put a small check in the company yeah and then help them along the way that's essentially you know what i want to inspire people to start doing i think that if more people who who look like me are investing we're going to try to invest in companies that are making creating solutions to the problems that we have. Yeah. Um, we need much more of them. So um, really when I see that I'm on one of those lists, I get excited because I think, okay, there's going to be um, a little black girl somewhere looking at that and saying, okay, this is a possibility for me. So, and you also spoke about, which I thought was really nice, uh, how it can be a relief for someone coming to pitch to see you a non-white, non-male personalities sitting in front of them obviously with you know a lot of experience you personally have a lot of experience of how it feels like to look different in a room starting off with Morgan Stanley and which is primarily white male dominated how do you think that that can also have an effect when you maybe meet founders that are non-white non-male that's yeah. been struggling for quite a long time yeah I think that um I've always operated in environments professionally that are predominantly white, male, and uh, let's say older. Mm. Um, and and I absolutely know what it feels like to go into a meeting and you can see, you know, people making assumptions about you or, you know, at, that's at best, at worst, giving you their coffee order. Oh, um, happened so, to you? Oh, yeah, oh. yeah. One CEO at Morgan Stanley refused. I was I was on the roadshow with him. He he was like, "No, you're the age of my daughter. I don't. How are you, my banker?" <laughs> wow. But, how did you prove uh, him I wrong? Was, well, I looked you really young him? as well. Yeah. That's a, a positive <laughs> now. At the time, I I hated it because I thought that I wasn't being taken seriously. Now I'm very happy yeah. with that. But yeah, now I think that um, founders who are coming from underrepresented mm. underrepresented communities, mm. they like seeing me in the room. Mm. It just makes it a little bit less scary. Is that something you talk openly about? If a founder would come in from a minority group, for example, do you talk about it openly, saying you're going to have to tackle this or you have to be aware? How are you going to tackle this um, elephant in the room? No, I don't. Not in that sense, because I think it's just... The challenges are so obvious mm. to, I think, I hope to everyone mm. uh, in the room, it's certainly to them, you know, on the fundraising journey and having had some probably really messed up interactions. I mean, just the idea that you would walk into a VC and, and have only white males there, I mean, that has to change. And it is changing. Mm. No one would feel comfortable unless they're a white man. Yeah. No one would feel comfortable in that environment. Of course, um, they wouldn't be there, do their best pitch, yeah. and they wouldn't give their best performance, and then they probably wouldn't get investment. Yeah. So yeah, we need more people on the other side of the table yeah. who are funding these companies to be women, to be minorities, yeah. and um, and you are actively working 
on that in your way right now? Trying, yeah. trying. So I sit on the Harvard Business School alumni board, and one of the projects we worked on there was diversifying public company boards. Yeah, That's super exciting to me because um, I think that they're extremely qualified uh, women who just don't have the path to sitting on a board. Sitting on boards, public boards at the moment is very network based. Mm. So, you know, you get a call as a board member. Oh, I'm looking. Someone's retiring from my board. I need to fill the spot. Who do you know? Oh, here's my buddy. You know, give him a call. And it kind of happens like this. I mean, like most things in life, but mm -hmm. but this is at a much higher level. So our goal was to have um, a system that made it easier for these companies looking to fill board seats to have access to talented um, women who were board ready yeah. and then also help them become board ready because it's a whole other skill set that you need to develop and um, even the CV looks different and the, the, the language looks different. So you could be a CEO of a company, but you have to remarket yourself to be a board member. So it's yeah. a whole process yeah. that is not as transparent as it should be. Um, and so we created this partnership with a, a major bank of candidates in the U.S. and um, launching this partnership. So that's super exciting. It's really brilliant. Yeah, no, it's it's fun. Mm. Uh, it's really something fun. that struck me when we spoke previously was that I'm getting back to this idea how women don't talk about money. So now, after all of this journey, you are an expert in entrepreneurship and money making and capitalization and you still find yourself uh, meeting up with a friend that is on top of her game in a private equity firm yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. and you, you yeah, want to tell no, me about I mean, this I was thinking about this story the other day which was fascinating and I'm sure that some sociologists can explain to me why that is but I met up with one of my best friends who uh, is a partner at a top global private equity fund She had just had a baby and we just started talking about stuff to do with our kids like, oh, you know, what toys are, you know, educational toys are you getting her right now? And, you know, what are you doing for long trips? What are you packing? And yeah, I mean, that's important, you know, and well, some people are super interested yeah. in that, but we're not yeah. like the two, these two women having that conversation We're just not. And we looked at each other at some point and we were like, why are we like, do you care about this? <laughs> okay. I don't really care about it. Just send me a list later, you know, yeah. fine. Like it has to be done, but it's not our passion. Like, let's talk about your promotion. You just got promoted to partner, you know, as a, as like this badass, um, at a really, really competitive private equity fund that has no female partners. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Or, you know, I'm investing in a retail business right now. Like you work in consumer retail. Can you talk to me about the trends? Yeah. Or, you know, like stuff that really gets us going. And then the rest of the walk, we talked about that. And it yeah. was much more interesting for us. I'm not putting a value judgment on, you know, talking about kids. I also, as you know, have a very active lunchbox yes. <laughs> Instagram account where I post my the lunchbox that I make for my toddler so I'm not saying that that stuff is not fascinating It's as well everything's welcome yeah we need to prioritize everything well, smartly because I just realized that men 
talk about that. So when I started investing in angel investing, I learned about the tax incentives, the EIS and SEIS. You get this amazing tax um, rebate from investing in startups. It's the way for the UK government to encourage individuals to invest. So I'm like, oh my God, guys, I just learned this amazing thing. And I turned around to my ex-colleagues and my friends and the guys were like, yeah, I invested in Mark's and Axel's and Elliot's company last year and I got this much back in tax. And by the way, Elliot's company just sold to Volkswagen and he made 500 million and I got a nice exit. I'm like, wait, I know Elliot. Firstly, he didn't even offer me to invest, even though I do the same job as you. We have the same amount of money. Like, why? That's one. And two... You guys are doing this and not talking to me about it. Like you knew and these are about, your friends. Yeah, it's just my that colleagues, it's not my friends. It doesn't didn't occur. Yeah. The tax advantages, all that. We had never had that conversation, yeah. and that that was just mind blowing mm-hmm. to me that this, there was this whole other world of really cool opportunities going on, side hustles and ways to you know be involved and make money that I wasn't party to, even though it was in my circle of colleagues and you know professional acquaintances as little as like let me refer you for this amazing credit card cashback credit card or whatever that has Mm. these great benefits that's going to mean more money in your pocket to like posting on instagram like everyone needs to check their credit reports have you done your yearly credit report check here's a link to check it for free those are the things that i wish that we could talk about more sometimes i just call up a friend and I'm like I'm really trying to save this much money from my expenses tell me how you streamline your expenses and we have those conversations and I know that sounds fucking weird but that's amazing I love doing that and if there's something that and again uh, repeatedly Modern Madonnas is not a podcast that is pushing down men whatsoever. Oh no, I love we men. Love men. Love. love. Men. It's and and this love. this I I would say that this episode actually gives tribute to how men knows how to life hack much better than oh, women. Yeah. And I'm obsessed with life hacking. I know you love it too. Yeah. And totally. it's yeah, it's one of those things where why don't we just like talk about life hacking? How to book a restaurant that you, it's impossible to get a table. There are loads of life hacking. Like, there are loads. <laughs> yeah. How to save money, how to capitalize. Like, let's just talk, start talking life hacks a little bit more between women instead of exchanging, you know, emotions forever. It's great too, but maybe it's a bit regressive sometimes. Totally. Yeah. Totally. And I think that once we start doing it, our friends and colleagues will feel comfortable coming to us. And now I, yeah. I feel like people do ask me, okay, can you really break this down to me? Like I have a friend now looking for health insurance and she mm. got quotes and she started panicking. And yeah, those things are really stressful yeah. because they're confusing. They're not written in plain English. And so we sat down and we went through it and you know, I was really happy to be that person that she called. And another one asked me about like a credit card point system. And I think the more we, we, we are comfortable about talking about this, the more it'll be a normal conversation. Yeah. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. What is this thing you're looking for within small companies that makes you say, I'm going to take this risk? Is it, is it your grit talking? Is it their grit talking? The main thing I think about is I am purchasing a key to the door and the door is that founder and that business, that first business that I'm investing in may not be the business that makes us both rich, but because I invest in this founder now, he or she will then give me the opportunity to invest in their next company. And that might be the one that does really well. So I'm really looking for someone who um, has this very strong uh, sense of, of self and uh, knows that, you know, you can pivot. I mean, some of the best companies pivoted uh, from their original original idea. Um, I think Slack was a different, completely different yeah, company. Then they were going to fire everyone. And then they were like, oh, but we have this great internal communication system. Let's pivot and do that. And now it's Slack. So mm-hmm. um, having, and, and you can, you hope to find that quality in a founder who won't feel discouraged that the idea that they went in with originally actually there's no product market fit it's not going to work who can take what they have learned along the way and 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 change gears that's what you're looking for and you want someone who obviously has the grit the determination the spirit which will be crushed many, many times and you can keep going. It's the hardest job there is. I mean, I don't know if I could do it myself. So yeah, it's a people, it's an intuition thing. And I don't know yet if I'm successful, right? Like, let's see, let's see in a few years um, how well, how well my portfolio companies do. And then maybe we'll we'll have another conversation. Yeah, exactly. Then we're going to ask you how to (laughs) become (laughs) the greatest investor. Yeah. Is there something that you're specifically passionate and want to see more of uh, in the tech startup world or just startup world? Are there products or ideas that you feel still needs to be worked on? Yeah, um, I, um, I'm i just fascinated by, by how few products exist to solve the problems that I have mm-hmm. as a woman. Now there's much, much, much more. But, you know, growing up, like things that we need just didn't exist because it was the men inventing the products. And so I get really excited about founders who are thinking about women when they create products and 
I'd like to see more of that. There's still so many products. I mean, I had a or company. maybe more women creating more products. Yes, for women yeah, as well. I mean, ideally, yeah. <laughs> ideally they would know they would know more about the problem. I have uh, had a company pitch to me, and it was. Let me see how I can explain it without going into too much identifying detail. But it was a product about um, uh, mindfulness, mm. an object mm-hmm. that you could have on you to remind you to be mindful. It was a how vi- did that look like? It, it was a, just a pro- a product. I don't <laughs> want to say too much because I don't want to talk <laughs> shit about so them. <laughs> but the thing it vibrates to yeah. remind you to take a moment, you know, of mindfulness. Okay. So I was like, oh, cool. Like, so how do you know that it vibrates? Oh, it's in your pocket. I'm like, oh, okay. But you do know that most clothes, you know, nowadays are not, for women, are not designed with pockets. Like, we have to live in a world without fucking pockets. Um, I refuse. I always have pockets. Yeah, I mean, same. But most of the, you know, most of the stuff is just not made with pockets. Yeah. So I'm like... If the woman has, and then he's like, oh, she can put it in her handbag. I'm like, well, that's also stupid. Like, how is she going to feel it vibrating? And also, you know, the way we work with handbags, we change yeah. handbags many times a week. We don't yeah. necessarily, like, and he just looked at me like, oh, oh, yeah. And <laughs> I'm like, seriously? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I try to be that person, one, showing the blind spots yeah. uh, where they exist. And um, hopefully we can have a world where half of the products and services are made with us in mind. Yeah. We're the biggest consumers of products. So please make yeah. more things for us. I'm going to make it more general now, because if anyone listening to this podcast with Gloria today is thinking, I really should start investing. And I... I could spare two Deliveroo's or Uber Eats or whichever food delivery app you're using per day, could spare one or two per week to start investing. How would you advise them? Um, I would say keep it really, really simple. So I, uh, when it comes to uh, public markets, equity investing, I do like the really basic like investment index, put, it, put a, a fixed amount every month, and increase that amount as you have more disposable income, and then don't even look at it. Think of it as something that you're going to look at, you know, in 20, 30 years, and just watch the beauty of compounding. Um, Like practically, should they put it into a savings account? Should they put them into a fund on their, you know, within their bank or on an app like Revolut? What would you say? Not a savings account. Mm. I mean, not a cash savings yeah. account, an Something investment that, account, yeah. but uh, an index. So not yeah, exactly. not choosing specific stocks and shares, not yeah. saying I'm going to... And again, I'm not qualified to give financial advice, but this is just, I think, um, the way that our brains work is that it seems like a massive hurdle to... S- think I'm going to start investing, mm. like I need to read lots of books and become really smart mm. when no, like if you invest in an, in like an index that covers, let's say the FTSE 500, yeah. it's, a, it's already diversified. There are professionals who've diversified the index. So you just put a fixed amount per month. You don't even think about it. I like to yeah. set and forget setting things in a way that you then forget about them and yeah. they're working passively without you even having to think about it is how I would do it. I just want to 
uh, also pitch Emily Bellet. She um, is the founder of Vespod, and she has uh, a book that breaks down basically everything you need to do. Um, That's I think it's called I'm I'm not broke. I'm pre rich. <laughs> I love. Is the that title. the name of the book? Yeah. <laughs> and the podcast name is uh, Vestpod. Vestpod. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Just get one of those books. Follow the steps. Very simple. Don't try to be too sophisticated. I mean, that's the way I do it. It's amazing. Um, and you know, I'm I'm into this stuff. So that's great. So you are, on my definition, one of a kind and a powerhouse. And uh, I do avoid the term power woman because you'd go against me saying, why do you have to <laughs> generalize that term into a subcategory of a woman? But there is still this notion of a power woman, right? And you are a power woman. You're managing this, these huge investments. You're a mother of two. You have a young boy and you recently had a little daughter. And you're now fronting, trying to realize yourself, raising great children, great human beings. And how would you look at that idea of, of a powerhouse, both for your boy and for your girl? How will you help them grow into good humans um, and showing them proper equality and giving them power in this while still acknowledging their differences as a boy and a girl. Do you yeah. know this already? <clears throat> Have you thought about it? I think about it all the time. Um, and I, I don't take offense to the term power woman. I mean, women are incredibly powerful. Yeah. I mean, I just think that we are just so incredible. The amount of resilience and strength that we have, both physically and mentally, um, the ability to birth children to to carry them and and I mean I have a newfound respect for women since having children um and also much appreciation for our mothers who who did it in, in much more difficult circumstances than than we are um and I think about how to raise our children all the time and mm. and my husband comes from a, he's from Cameroon mm. it's a quite a patriarchal society yeah. um but we're very deliberate about the way that we operate in the home so he does most of the like cleaning and mm. stuff at home so that our son and daughter sees him you know and emptying the dishwasher oh that's great you already thought of that like as an yeah mm. totally Um, it's not at all because I don't want to do it myself. <laughs> <laughs> What? Um, Love cleaning. And uh, we are uh, constantly shifting roles and being quite deliberate. So during lockdown was a very interesting exercise that we did. We we sat down and we wrote the list of tasks that needed to be done for the family, for the home. And we divvied them up. And it was super fascinating exercise because you realize that actually he probably realized I was doing a lot more stuff that he didn't know about and I realized he was doing a lot more stuff that I didn't know about that's such and a great exercise yeah being um being just more proactive yeah. about that so that one you become so much more appreciative of your yeah. partner and you can make sure that that's divided equally I think that children learn through observing yeah I never saw my father 
clear up the table. And now my kids see Claude clears up the table every night. I cook mm -hmm. and he clear, yeah. clears up the table yeah. and cleans up the kitchen. Yeah. It's like our thing. And so we are very proactively trying to set the example and I hope to teach them. But I don't know if we're doing a good job. I mean, it's hard, man. What is a modern Madonna to you? Um, What does she represent? Modern Madonna? Uh, I think, actually, it's our, our mothers. When I look at our mothers and everything they did, I mean, they looked fabulous. Mm -hmm. Always <laughs> perfectly dressed with the shoulder pads and the, the suits, the skirt suits. And yet they were caring and nurturing to us and they were having careers and they made it seem so effortless of course now that we're in their shoes we know that it's nothing nothing but effort <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um and yeah but I look at, I mean that's my ideal yeah. I look at them and I say I want to do I want to do that and I want to and I want to be able to be all those things and I don't mm. want anything denied I want to have all the experiences. I want to be a great mother. Mm. I want to be a great partner. I want to be an earner. I want to mm. be a builder. I want to be in a community, nourishing my community. I somehow still think that I can do all those things. Let's see. Um, let's see. But, um, yeah. I love the aspect of your community and nourishing your community. It's something that I think if we don't have as well, will we'll make us feel weaker. It's I haven't heard it like that before asking this question, and I think that is a really important one because it cares for yourself as well. Truth is, it's all going to break us down at one point because we don't have this much time, but we can still go for it. But in the making of this and the idea that we can be it all, we need sisterhood, we need community, we need brotherhood, we need, every, we need everyone together to open up a debate of how it's hard why it's great, everything. And that's how we can at least love to try to achieve this goal, yes. even though we're never going to yes. get there. And I think it's almost more about choosing what you're not going to do. Mm. Because in order to do the things you want to do, the things that matter to you, which are going to be different than the things yeah. that matter to me, you have to be saying without shame this is how I do it, by saying no to other things. Yeah. So I don't clean my house. Mm. I get a cleaner to come in. Yeah. I have childcare, like all those things that people are ashamed to talk about. Women yeah. are ashamed to talk and, about. And especially in different cultures. It, where, yeah. where I'm yeah. from in, in Sweden, Sweden, it's just getting kind of okay to talk about that. But I yeah. don't think that it's achievable without all that support because yeah. we don't have the community of our aunties and cousins and mothers and grandmothers around and we need to talk about that because I often I mean I listen to podcasts a lot and mm. and you know you have these power women you call them and they talk <laughs> about and you're like but how and I always yeah. want to know just logistically yeah like, exactly Break what time does your nanny me. arrive yeah. <laughs> what time does she leave and like how many okada orders do you make a week yeah. and it's because it, this is the stuff of Our days, right? If yeah. those things aren't sorted, yeah. we cannot focus on the work yeah. 
and the things that we're trying to build and create. Um, and we need to just be clear about that, of how, how it all works. Yeah. Um, it and starts with okay. not judging other people. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Not yeah. judging ourselves and each other for making perhaps different decisions than we think our priority totally. because we all have different skill sets and different priorities and that. that we're different seasons of our lives and this is kind of and i'm going to end on this note but this is kind of the point of the podcast that i'm doing is to start to talk about it and stop shaming and start having women looking at their own behavior saying where am i still considering where am i still locked into a role that i should be playing or where am i still considering that i can't do this and can't do that by wanting to do everything you have to start owning everything you need to do to be everything yes yes it's no one else's problem but your own to solve absolutely and and just let go let yeah. go of the other stuff that doesn't matter so much to you mm. if you know cooking meals from scratch for your family is <laughs> not a priority don't do it yeah just don't do it it's yeah. okay yeah. and how liberating that is to be able to say i'm not going to do that yeah. instead i want to Read a book. Read a newspaper. Oh yeah. yeah. What, it's like considered it a leisure today. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like I'm embarrassed if someone comes into the office and I'm just sitting there having a cup of coffee reading the paper. Yeah, that's crazy. I'm like, oh shit, I need to. <laughs> Whereas like, why? No, it's part of life and we need pleasure and, and we need to be informed and involved in our society. And I mean, that's just one example, but we... I think need to be unashamed of what we do and how we do it and try to help each other to find better ways to do it. Totally. On that note, thank you, Gloria, so much for coming in. Honestly, it's thank a great you pleasure. for having me. It Such was a pleasure. really fun conversation. It was. And I look forward to seeing what's going to happen with all your investments in yeah, five years. Five years. And your kids. We have a date in the calendar. And your plan. Yes, we do. <laughs> Subscribe to the Modern Madonnas podcast and follow us on Instagram for more stories about modern womanhood. Thank you for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.